tonight. We are, will eventually be in a Luke chapter 15, Luke in chapter 15. Now, here's a thought to you this evening that I want to bring to you that I hope and pray in my heart of hearts uh, will be a wonderful blessing to you. I hope tonight that this message will change your mindset, will change your heart in the way you look at every single soul in this world today. Uh, there was an individual by the name of John Harper, as you know, who, who was uh, a man who passed away. He was, a, he was a preacher from Scotland. He passed away on the Titanic, if you will. And they said that John Harper had a unique ability, a unique ability to look at every individual person as a soul, as rather than who they are, what they may you know, look like, act like, speak like, whatever it may be. He said he looked at them as an individual soul that will spend eternity somewhere. My aim tonight, and my aim with this challenge called the Who's Your One Challenge, my aim for each and every one of us, not just you, but us tonight, is for us to buy into that mindset of the individual person or people in our life. The question is, who is your one? Who is the one that is going to be in your life tonight that when you leave here, that you write their initials down on a ping pong ball and put into that little glass jar there and your prayer for them to be saved or to come to church or both, okay? The way that'll work tonight is you'll put those initials on there. We don't need full names. don't need to know who it is. And you just put it in that, that glass jar, and then we'll see that glass jar kind of build up with those names. And then you go to work tomorrow, tonight, whenever it may be, and you get out there and you invite people to church. You invite that one person that the Lord has laid on your heart. I promise you this this evening. If you were switched on, by the time we're finishing this message in roughly 30 minutes, okay, maybe 27, uh, unless I did like I did this morning, it'll be 40. But I'm just gonna, I'm aiming for 30 tonight. That's what it's going to be. And uh, fair play, man. I was, I was on page five, and I was like, wow, I got loads of time. And then the time went. It just, I don't know where it went, but it ran out the back door. But here's what I'm saying here tonight. By the time this sermon is finished tonight, you're going to know you're one. You may know them right now. You may know exactly who they are as you sit here tonight uh, in this church service. I don't know, but I know you will know that one tonight. And you jot their initials down, and you put them in that, that, uh, that little aquarium that we have out there. And what we want to see each week and each month and, and throughout the rest of this campaign for whenever it's going to end is we want to see those different color balls going there signifying that that person came to church or signifying that person got saved or in both, we hope and pray, and that we begin to build up the body of Christ. Amen. Amen. So as we look throughout the scriptures, guys, there are many, many examples tonight in the Bible where the Lord Jesus Christ makes a difference in just one soul. We have this idea, one of the things that we have in, in I would say, first world countries and modern day Western civilization is that we think bigger is better. We always want to think if there's more, it's got to be worth it. We look at the price list on a, on a, on a menu and we go, hey, that's 26 pounds rather than 12 pounds. That's got to be a better meal. And our mindset sets that way too often many a times. We think bigger is better and more is better as well. And we find that when the Lord Jesus Christ many, many, many times we find that he made a difference in just one soul's life, and we see what had happened. One of the, uh, I'm going to give you a few examples here before we get into our text verses tonight. But one of the wonderful examples that I have, and one of my favorite stories, and I'm going to repeat that statement as well, as you know, is the widow of Nain found in Luke 7. The Bible says, now when he came nigh to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out, the only son of his mother, and, and she was a widow, and much people of the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and said unto her, Weep not. And he came and touched the bier, that's the casket, and they that bare him stood still and said, Young man, I say unto thee, Arise. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak, and he delivered him to his mother. 
Do you know what this shows me? I mean, the Lord Jesus Christ, if you look at Luke 7 and you read that chapter, you can see all kinds of things that happen on the front end and happen on the back end. This is almost like it's a parenthetical statement or a parenthetical event. It just happens like in the interim of two things, so it seems. The Lord just happens to see this lady. Her heart is broken. She's lost her husband. There's a great chance that this was a, you know, here we find she, 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 he is the only son of his mother. So there's a great chance that she has no one else in her life. And he knows that she's heartbroken. But you know what this reveals to us? It reveals to us that the Lord is concerned with our daily earthly lives. He is concerned with how we feel. He's concerned with our sadness, our joy, and even our happiness at times. And I get, you guys have heard me say many, many times that happiness and joy, they hail from two separate corners. Happiness is dependent on what is happening in your life. Joy is a completely different entity in and of itself. Jesus could have said unto her, Listen, lady, you'll be reunited with him in the resurrection. He could have said, weep not, for one day you'll see him again. And those are the things that we say to people, and we try to comfort them, and we understand that. But the Lord didn't do it. The Lord had compassion on her very issue, listen carefully, at the moment. All right? Not a spiritual or theological exercise to attempt to, to make her feel better uh, in looking for death. But right now, he had compassion on where she was. At the present moment, you could say he was intentional tonight. The woman of Sychar, another event, John chapter 4, that we find that is another favorite event of mine. And I love preaching and teaching on it, using it as, a, uh, as, a, as an example. The woman of Sychar there, this Samaritan woman, she was a woman living in open, shameful sin. All right? I mean, she had five husbands uh, prior to the situation she was in. Uh, the Lord rebukes her for, uh, for living in an adulterous affair with someone else's husband at the present moment. And, uh, I mean, beloved, the end of the story, this lady gets saved. She repents. Uh, her testimony led to more salvations of those in her city. And on top of it all, it, the Lord stayed there another two days, another 48 hours, okay, where countless souls believed on Jesus Christ, all because this one lady he met at the well. And yet John chapter 4 in verse 4 tells us, and he must needs go through Samaria. Many of you may remember when I preached on this, this dear lady here once before. And while we preached on her, we found out that as Jesus was traveling from point A to point B, he takes a trip that was way out of the way. And if you look at the map as, as the way he was traveling in John chapter 4, he didn't take the easy road to get to where he needed to go, to, to that city of Sychar, to that well. It was a treacherous a journey that he took. You know what it shows me? It shows the necessity of the Lord traveling out of his way to speak to this one particular woman, a woman who everyone in the city would have shunned until he wanted something from her. Yet the Lord sacrificed his time. He was willing to have the difficult conversation concerning her past and her present in order to save her future. You could say the Lord was invested. He was invested. Then there's the woman with the issue of blood. Again, yeah, you're right. It's another one of my favorite events in, in the life of Christ. They're all my favorite. I've got to be honest with you. But it's these particular individuals, especially when he deals with the ladies, that blesses my heart. The Lord stopped in the midst of a throng, in the midst of being in a hurry, being carried to, uh, to this ruler's house because of his dying daughter, and everybody's pushing him and pushing him and pushing him. And in the midst of the throng, after she touched the hem of his garment, she had this issue of blood for 12 years. And we find in Luke in chapter 8, in verse 48, the Bible says, And he said unto her, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace. 
Now, guys, this particular woman was at the end of her rope. She had exhausted her entire living that she had on doctors and physicians and no telling what else that she had done to try to get rid of this disease. And she had heard tell that the only one that could heal her of Jesus Christ was going to be in the midst. He was somewhere nigh. He was walking down the streets. She knew the consequences of her being unclean and getting in the midst of this, the Bible says, a throng. You know what a throng is? I'm going to show my age, and maybe I'll show some of yours. You know what a mosh pit is, Rachel? <laughs> Think about a mosh pit without the six feet running. You know, you're just in this thing, just getting knocked around. That's what Jesus Christ, they were trying to get him to Jairus' house so he could heal the daughter. And he's just in the midst of the throng. That's why Peter said, what do you mean who touched you? Everybody's touching you. But there was a woman who risked everything. She risked being stoned to death for being in public and around people. Everything she touched from point A till she touched the hem of his garment was considered unclean until she touched that garment. Now, guys, you know what? The Lord could have passed her by. If you read it, the Scripture, when the, before the, the virtue went out of him and her issue was cleansed, she's healed. He didn't have to stop. He could have kept on going. He was in a hurry, wasn't he? Time was short. I mean, listen, he needed to get moving. He could have turned around to her and said, hey, listen, the, the law says X, Y, Z. You don't belong here. I'm taking that healing back. But he didn't. Everyone was in a hurry, and yet he stopped after virtue had left him and her issue was cleansed just to let her know, thy faith hath made thee whole. She, she, he, Jesus Christ was willing to slow the roll of life to do the right thing, despite the knock-on effect, despite the weariness of his day, or even those that were around him. He was willing to stop to do the right thing, to bless this lady who had suffered so much. You could say, and this goes without saying, but you could say he had integrity. And we'll get into that point here in just a little while, but I tell you, we, we, I think in our world today, guilty as charged, we're in more danger of being too busy to do the right thing oftentimes. How many times have you passed somebody on the street and you've seen that they're broken down, but you're late for the meeting and you can't stop, but you know the right thing would stop and at least offer to help? You know, those may be open doors. They may not be. I'm not telling you to stop at every Tom, Dick, and Harry that's on the side of the street. I'm not telling you, to, but I am telling you this. You need to listen to you, to what the Lord is saying to you. So in Luke chapter 15 is our text verses tonight. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 7. Another um, marvelous event and revealing how the Lord speaks on this subject of dealing with that one. To teach you, to bring the thought of who is your one tonight. In Luke 15, verses 1 through 7, the Bible says, then drew, near, uh, then drew near unto him all the publicans, everybody hated the publicans, and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. And he spake this parable unto them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness, and go after that which is lost until he find it? And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, and saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. 
I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. You see, this parable the Lord uses of a man leaving the 99 to go search out for the one, uh, his one, if you will, isn't a lack of concern or a lack of love for the 99 that are present. But rather, it shows the compassion and persistence for the one who is in the wandering way, the one who has left the fold, the one who now is lost and never been inside the fold. And beloved, in our life, we need to come to the grips and come to the understanding that we are surrounded by souls. Some guys, and I would say few of the souls that we're surrounded with every single day are actually on their way to heaven. When you look at the statistics, when you look at the 64 million people within our four countries of the United Kingdom, and you break down the belief systems, you break down the attendance, you break down the thoughts, you just break it down and start peeling back the layers. 1.5% people attend church on Sunday morning throughout the United Kingdom. 1.5%. And when you look at the overwhelming majority of those who are what church they are attending, and you break down their belief system, it will reveal unto you not salvation by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of, your, not of works, lest any man should boast, but rather a man-orientated work or chosen type of salvation, which does not exist in the Scriptures. What am I saying to you tonight? What am I meaning to you? What am I trying to tell you tonight, guys? We come into more people, we come in contact with more people throughout our day who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior than, than do know Him. And we know that knowledge. If I had, the, if I had the, uh, uh, the cure for cancer in my pocket right here, and I just kept it right here, like let's say this packet right here, and these are eyeglass cleaners because I'm OCD with my, clean, my, my eyeglasses. Well, let's say this is the cure for whatever disease there is. And I said, nope, that's mine. I'm going to keep it right here, and you don't get any of it. How dwells the love of God in me? Guys, we have the cure for eternal life. We're not saving anyone, but what Jesus Christ did for us is what saves a soul. And yet we have that knowledge to share with someone. Let the Holy Spirit do the rest of the job. It's not your job to save anyone, but it is your job and my job to plant those seeds so the Holy Spirit can bring fruition of salvation. Before we go there tonight, guys, I want us to just kind of look at our world today. Guys, we live in a world that, let's be honest, with unbelievable, beautiful things. I mean, our skies here, our green grass. I mean, it rains a lot, I know, but you know what we get out of the rain? We get rainbows and we get green grass, amen? We get beautiful colored plants and flowers and all this and that. Now we have sunshine, we got heat, we got hot, we got, we got it all right here. Best weather on the face of the planet, I believe, is right here in our land, right here, right now, okay? Okay, sure enough, three months from now, we're not going to be saying that, I'm sure. We're all going to be complaining that we're cold and we're wet and all this and that. Then it's going to be dark. I get all that, but the upside of all that darkness and that rain is what we have today, amen? We, have, we live in a beautiful world. And yet at the same time, we live in a mean world. We live in a world where people are selfish and switched off and sensually driven. And there are things that we can do to place ourselves in the midst of soul's life to simply make a difference. I don't know about you, but I mean, I grew up with mean people. If you grew up with mean people, 
probably everybody in here at some point in time in their life was bullied or made fun, by, fun of by someone. Maybe you were the bully, who knows? But, I mean, we all grew up around a mean society somewhere along the line. Unless you grew up in a padded room somewhere. But I know for me, I mean, I know I grew up in a mean world. Didn't have to make me hard. Didn't have to make me bitter, cold. What it should do for each and every one of us tonight, guys, that if we are considering making a difference in our world, which is going to start with our one, and whoever your one may be this evening, first, we're going to have to be intentional. Intentional. If we notice in verse 4 there, it says, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine, okay, in the wilderness and go after that which is lost? He said, He doth not leave the ninety and nine. There was a purpose behind this man's movements. He, with purpose, went after that which was lost. He did not just hope or, or he didn't just pray. And guys, I'm not saying we shouldn't hope and we shouldn't pray. We should pray our hearts are content. The Bible tells us to pray without season. The Bible says also for us to rejoice evermore. We should do all of those things. But if we are going to make a difference in, in someone's life, if we're going to choose our one, put their initials in that bowl out there, and then leave this building tonight, we are going to have to have some type of intent, some intentionality in our life to go after them until we find them. With intention, this man went after the sheep that was lost. This was his one, and therefore, he was intentionally sought after the lost sheep. Secondly, we find, not only must we be intentional, but this man was invested. He was invested. Look at the latter part of verse 4 that we just read, and go after uh, that which is lost until he find it. Now, what does that tell you tonight? You see, I realize, guys, we covered a topic here a few weeks back uh, um, about when, you know, when I preached on Joshua and them going into the promised land and, and when they were on the other side of the Jordan. And yes, when Israel was in the wilderness, God fed them, God gave them water, God gave them quail, God gave them manna, God did everything for them until they got to that river Jordan. And he said this, if you want your land, what are you going to have to do? You have to go get it. You're going to have to put your shoes on, you're going to have to get up, you're going to have to cross the Jordan, and you're going to go have, and you're going to have to fight for what I have already given you. You're going to have to take it. It's just like the woman at the well, guys. In order for her to be saved, to hear the hard truth, the heavenly truth as well, subsequently countless souls being saved and coming to the Lord Jesus Christ, for that to happen, Jesus Christ must needs go through Samaria. The Bible didn't say he should go through there. It would be a good idea, or he prayed over it, or he named it and claimed it. That does, he, it says he must needs go. There had to be an investment, a time placed into the lives of this woman at the well, a time placed in, in, in the lives of those Israelites to cross the Jordan. And guys, even social norms were broken with the Jews sitting at this well having a conversation with the Samaritan. But, you know, look, you know, look at what our text verse says tonight with the do-nothing religious. They said, this man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. Hey, you may have some people look at you strangely when you're talking to someone that doesn't fit their bill. Who cares, man? Let them look at you strangely. I'm going to tell you right now, guys, I would rather be in the presence of someone who looks like a weirdo. I don't know whatever that is. I look like a weirdo half the time. I probably act like one. But I would rather be with someone that this world has cast off and talking to them about the Lord Jesus Christ than sitting around with some stuck-up, stiff-necked religiousite. Amen? You know, throughout Paul's ministry, throughout his ministry, do you know how many problems he had, um, how much problems he had with the government? Zero. 
You know whose problems were? The religious. Either the false religion or the Jews. That was it. They stirred up the government to, to arrest him and falsely accuse him and all this and that. But he didn't have issues with them. He didn't have issues with the down and out. He didn't have issues with the devout women in Corinth. He didn't have, you know he had issues with? The religious who didn't want to do one thing, but they wanted to sit high and mighty and judge everyone. Guys, if a difference is going to be made, it's going to be made by an intentional investment in people's lives. And my friend, it may cost you something. It may cost you your time. I can guarantee it will. It may cost you your talent, and it may cost you some treasure. But in the end of it, who's your one tonight? And are they worth your investment? I guarantee you they are. So who is your one tonight? Who are you thinking about right now? So it's going to be, you're going to have to be intentional. You're going to have to be invested. But thirdly tonight, as we saw even with the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to have to do your part of integrity. Notice in verse 5 with me, it says, And when he had found it, he layeth on his shoulders rejoicing. Now, you may wonder what laying a lost lamb across the shoulders has to do with integrity. And I agree with you tonight what it has to do with it. But you're going to find out here in just a moment, there was a time frame that this man who was looking for this lost sheep had given. And it wasn't 24 hours. It wasn't 48 hours. It wasn't one week. It wasn't six months. He said he went and looked for it until he found it. And then when he found it, he was successful, and it was laying on his shoulders. He was rejoicing. See, many people, guys, can, they can list their one on a piece of paper. They can go after their one, and they can even look for their one. But it's going to require integrity to finish the job. It's going to require perseverance, persistence, commitment, dedication, and loyalty. It's going to require labor. Now, I'm going to make a statement tonight, guys, and it may not sit in your life whatsoever. It may not have anything to do with you, but the truth of the matter is we see too many men and women, I believe, in the ministry today who are just flat-out lazy. They're lazy. They like the position. They like the name. They like the title, but they're lazy. You say, Preacher, how do you know that? Because I'm sure I, 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 I speak to ministers and missionaries and evangelists and pastors on a weekly basis. This is my life. I've been in the ministry for 30-some-odd years. This I'm not my first rodeo. I've sat down at tables, and I've talked to people, and I know the people who are constantly texting me over and over and over, and I'm wondering, how in the world do you have time to do all that, amen? Laziness. They failed to go after their one who needs the Lord or needs the church or both guys the most, and, and it's because of a lack of integrity. They have not integrated into the community. They have not invested into the individual souls and lives. And, and that, that's the way I believe, guys, that, that they, they have not with intent went after the one in the wilderness. And for that matter, many of them, they don't even know who is in the wilderness because they've been disengaged with the community and the country they're supposedly called to reach. It's a lack of integrity. See, guys, I, I believe this. I believe that if I'm going to make a difference in this world and in this life, I got to get into this world and get into this life. It doesn't mean I got to go down here, at, you know, to the local brothel to reach a, a, a harlot. It doesn't mean I have to go to the, the bar and reach a bunch of drunks. That, that's not what it means. I don't have to go sin with the sinners, but I got to get into their life, and I got to be part of it. I got to get in there and I got to sweat. I got to get in there and inter interject myself into their lives and become part of their life. And so they know I care about them and that I love them. That's exactly what Jesus Christ did. I mean, according to the law, the Samaritan, matter of fact, that, that, that woman of Sychar, the first thing she said to Jesus, the very first thing, how be it you, a Jew, asketh me, a Samaritan, 
for something to drink, for water to drink, right? For the Jews, she said the Jews. She didn't say the Samaritans. She said the Jews have nothing to do with the Samaritans. He didn't let it phase him. He says, well, if you knew who I was, you'd be asking me a drink. I'll give you a drink. You never thirst again. Integrity, guys, is defined as the quality of being honest and having a strong moral principles. Again, sounds as if it's not linked with labor, uh, but it is. Honesty will drive a man or a woman to go the extra mile in helping the lost sheep back to the fold. Even, yes, that just one. Loyalty, which is linked to honesty, will enable a man or a woman to pursue the soul who is floundering in life, seeking to help them in their daily need. Strong moral principles will compel a man or a woman to invest and to be intentional for the one that is theirs, for the one in their life or their sphere of influence who the Lord has laid on their heart to keep visiting, praying, loving, speaking, listening to, all of which is required to either bring someone to Christ or bring them back home to the church. Yes, we must be intentional. Yes, we must be invested. But we must have integrity, absolute integrity, because, guys, can I say this to you tonight? This isn't a game. It's a pretty little band. You'll get yours next week. It's nice color, little ping pong balls. You'll write your name on there and put it into the glass jar. You'll take the sheet tonight that has a whole list of suggestions and recommendations to help you in reaching your one. You, I, I've done all that for you. But this isn't a game. It's war. And we need to look at it like that. You see, it's a battle for the soul, and there is no room in the Christian life for laziness. Lazy mind is antithesis with Christianity. It's antithesis with biblical Christianity. As a matter of fact, laziness, can I say this to you, is incompatible with Christianity altogether. The Apostle Paul utilizes some terms and titles to describe a Christian. He, he says this, if you will. He, he uses the phrase a soldier. I'm a little partial to soldiers and sailors and military men and women. I am. I come from a military home. I have three boys that was in the military. I'm trying to keep that one out of it. Amen. She's going to stay. She's going to be in interior design. But Paul says, thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. He uses the phrase husbandman, which is a farmer. And he says the husbandman that laboreth must be partake, first partaker of the fruits. Now, here's the key to that. The husbandman that laboreth, the one that's working. He uses the title servant. Paul says, for though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all that I might gain the more. He uses the illustration of an athlete. I love this one. I'm a little partial to this. Know ye therefore, he says, know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. I found out this weekend, <laughs> it's not here tonight, but I found out this weekend that uh, the schools are doing what's called, uh, and listen, if I offend you tonight, please don't get upset, but come back next week. I'm not doing it on purpose, I promise. Talk to me afterwards, hug my neck. But apparently the schools now are doing what's called non-competitive sports days. I, I don't even know what that, I looked it up, if I got the definition of it. Because I don't see how that even, I don't even understand that. Sports is a competition. Can I tell you what else is a competition? Life's a competition. I, what I read when I looked up the definition and that which it is, it, that to keep young people, keep young children uh, from the fear of losing, 
Listen, guys, not one time in my entire life of sports, which over half of my life was spent on the gridiron doing some type of sports activity, not one time did I wake up one morning and go, I can't wait to be a loser today. Not once did I do that. But I got up a lot of times on those game days, and I said, man, I'm going to give it my all today that we do not lose. I'm going to do everything I can. I'm going to do my part to push, to fight, to bleed, to hit, to scrap, to do whatever I got to do to try to make us win. At the end of the day, if we lose, if we're, if we're beaten, if we make mistakes, if that be the case, that be the case, learn from it and then go forward and go into, the, into this world and get better from it. That's the only way. I, I don't understand it. Paul says very clearly, running a race, they run all. They're giving their all. They're doing everything they can do, but only one of them is going to win. He, he brings up, he uses uh, the illustration of a fighter, and he uses this multiple times. In the same chapter where he's speaking about running, he also says, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. In other words, I'm not going to pull my punches. I'm not just going to swing at anything. I'm going to look at my target. He says, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. In his very final letter, just months before he was beheaded in the road to Ostia in Rome, Paul says, I have fought a good fight. I have kept the faith. I have I, mean, I finished my course. I have kept the faith, he said. All of those things are the complete opposite of the lazy mind. Lovers of ease who spend more time on their phone talking and texting are foreign to the high calling and high privilege of the Christian life. Guys, we must have integrity and pursue an hour one. We must be invested if we're going to make a difference, and we must, with intentionality, exercise both. Lastly, tonight, we see the result, the beauty of it all, our one, the one we've prayed for, sought for, invested in with integrity and with intent. Now we find that they are included. Now, if I was to ask you in here tonight, how many people like to be included in something? Everybody likes to be included. Nobody likes getting chosen last for kickball or, well, dodgeball you may want to. I'd, like, I'd sit in the corner for dodgeball, but for like kickball and sports and things that you would do in school. But Jesus says, and he cometh home and calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep, which was lost. There's an inclusion with the lost sheep. He was now part of the fold. He is rejoicing with friends and family as well as, with, as well as with those who he has never met before. But now they're a family of God. Man, what a blessing, what a reward for a soul who is lost or wandering in the wilderness of life to now be included in a, a family that is eternal, that they can never lose. Beloved, it's a two-way street. Now, this inclusion can be a soul who knows not the Lord Jesus Christ, a soul that is destined for a devil's hell, that is filled with an eternity of torments, and on top of all that, they'll go there as an intruder because hell was created for the devil and his angels. It was never meant for us to go. Nevertheless, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen for that. So that one tonight can be someone who's lost who's unsaved by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, who you, through that persistence, through that prayer, through that regular phone calls, conversations, coffee moments, whatever it may be, drop the scenes of the faith of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and allow the Holy Spirit to come in 
and convict their heart that they may get, be saved. But the other side of the street, it may be someone who is already saved. Someone who has been in church in the past, and for whatever reason, uh, they've been out of church for a long time. Maybe it's someone, something happened to them. They got bitter. They got hardened. Maybe they got busy, and they were just shamed. To, to, uh, shame drove them from getting back into church. Who knows? Whatever it may be. But, but the Lord knows, and if they're out wandering in the wilderness of this life, He wants them back in the fold. This could be your one. Maybe that's your one tonight. One doesn't have to be one. It could be two that's your one. And it could be both sides of the street. I want to say this to you tonight in closing, that there is no greater gift than the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ being brought to a lost soul. For them to believe on him with all their heart, soul, and mind, placing their unfeigned faith in who Christ is and what he has done with us in the completed work of the death of the cross, the burial in the tomb, and the resurrection. Jesus Christ in his own words in our text tonight says, I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth. Now I want you to get this picture with me. We like to sing, and Sue, you did a wonderful job playing tonight, and you guys did a wonderful job singing. What a blessing. I don't know how many angels there are. I know this, they don't have wings. Okay, let's make that clear. I don't know necessarily how many cherubim they are. I know they got four wings. Okay? And I don't know how many seraphim there are. I know they have six wings. But I know this about the seraphim at least. That in Isaiah chapter 6, the Bible says that their wings made a sound of like a mighty rushing water. So I'm going to say there's a whole boatload of them. Okay? I'm going to say there's a whole boatload of angels and a whole boatload of cherubim and a whole boatload of, of seraphim and every other heavenly being that the Lord God in heaven created. Now, I want you to imagine that one soul comes to Christ. Your one comes to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Gabriel, you know what happens? Every one of those heavenly beings with unison, they shout for joy. They sing out loud. They shout on high. Can you imagine what on earth that is like? It's not on earth. We've never seen anything like that. But can you just picture that with me? One soul down there on the street corner somewhere in in Cardiff, Wales, or in the valleys up there, or in, you know, Brimpton, England, or somewhere, who knows, in Timbuktu somewhere. That one little soul that nobody knew, but their one knew them, That one individual that nobody's ever heard of, they don't know their name, they've never met them, but they had one particular person in their life that loved them and cared for them enough to be politely persistent, to pray for them and pray over them, and to witness to them and tell them about the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they make that vital decision, and heaven goes absolutely bonkers, man. My soul. you got to be kidding me. Can you imagine with me what it's like? Joy in heaven when one soul comes to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Imagine the shout. Imagine the joy. Imagine the rejoicing because of that one soul. And we think tonight, do I have the time? Do I have the resources? I had mentioned to you about mission expenditures when one soul gets saved. And I dug a little digging. The value of a soul, number one, is beyond number. Although the total cost of Christian outreach averages $330,000 for every recorded baptism. That's about 284,000 pounds. Now, these numbers are from the states because this is all based upon 
missionaries being sent out of the United States, that doesn't even compel the mission money that goes from different countries in investing and seeing souls saved. 284,000 pounds for every recorded baptism, which a recorded baptism means that individual has confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. They've been biblically baptized in believer's baptism by immersion. That's a lot of money, isn't it? I bet you if I dropped 284,000 pounds in the floor right here, we would have a fight on our hands of who's going to get what. If I said, hey, first one gets it, gots it. <laughs> That's a lot of money. You think it's worth it? 284,000? There you go. It's worth every penny. You, can't put a, you cannot put a price on a soul. Unbelievable value in a soul. But I ask you this tonight. By now, who is your one? Who's your one that you have thought about during this message? It, it could be a family member. Who, who is going to love a family member more than you do? It, it could be a close friend. Who do, you want, who, who do you want to tell news to? Who's your friend out there that you love to share good or bad news with? It could be a neighbor. That's easy. Right next door. Could be a coworker, someone you see every single day that you sit across the table with. Could be a cashier. Could be a server. We we all have a, a particular restaurant that we probably frequent that we like to go to. We like to we, we, when we do go to London. It's not all that often, but we have one particular place that we always go and eat, and we got one particular waitress. Her name's Effie, little Greek girl. She's awesome. Taught them how to make a long black and coffee there. You know, we all have those places. Maybe it's a classmate that you see in, in class or the library or a former classmate. Maybe it's a teammate. You played in the same league. Maybe it's an online friend. I realize where we are nowadays, you know, on social media you keep in contact with and, or, or a game or whatever. And I guess they're not like this anymore. They're like, all that. I'm not coordinated enough to do any of those things. Maybe it's a fellow parent. You know, you know who's your, your child's friends? Maybe it's a workout buddy. Maybe it's somebody you work out with. All of these things, guys. It doesn't have to be complex. Who we come in contact with every day, these are the souls in our life who can be our one. So who's your one tonight? Is it worth your time? Every second it is. Is it worth your heart? Every beat. Is it worth your mind? Every thought. Is it worth your labor? Every drop of sweat. So I say this as we pray in closing tonight. I'm going to ask you who's your one is. I'm going to ask you to take a, a writing utensil of some sort, a pen or a marker, when you leave here tonight. I'm going to ask you to write the initials and place it in that jar. And then I'm going to ask you to pray for them. I'm going to ask you to go after them. I'm going to ask you to help them. Be a blessing to them. And as a church, let us watch that container fill up. You'll put an orange ball in there with a name on it. If that soul gets saved, you'll put a red ball in there. They come to church, you'll put a different color ball in there. And we want to see that. I want to have to buy more containers. That's what I want to do. Will you bow your heads tonight? Father, we love you and we thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for us and who and what you are. And we pray this evening that you, as we close our service down and our final song here in just moments and before we dismiss in prayer to depart,
I simply ask you this tonight, that if you will, lay upon everyone's heart this evening that one particular person that you know, that you have laid on their soul, that they can come into contact with every single day, that an eternal difference may be made. And Father, we'll give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.